0: At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void created prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. One
1: goal to win the title. It's as simple as that. Could it happen? Balotelli. Aguero. Farah's coming down the straightway, and he's going to be attacked by uh, by Deborah Meskill
2: And Mo farah has got the double. He's the Olympic champion again. Two to win. It's Godfrey's got to go to the keepers' end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins, by the barest of all margins. Hello
1: and welcome to the Barest of Margins podcast with me, Simon Hughes. This is the programme that delves deeper into the world of sport to hear from the coaches, scientists, trainers, psychologists, managers and athletes themselves to find out how they unearthed and implemented those vital marginal gains that engineer the difference between success and failure. Many of these strategies will be as equally applicable in the workplace as they are on field or track. Today, our guest is the groundbreaking and World Cup winning England One Day captain Owen Morgan, to coincide with the announcement of his retirement from international cricket. I first met Owen as a shy 16-year-old feeling his way into the English professional game after growing up in Dublin. It may have been just a benefit match for Middlesex against a Buckinghamshire club side, but I was immediately struck by his self-assurance and obvious talent as he struck the winning runs a huge six into a distant tree. He soon showed ingenuity as a batsman for Middlesex and later England, inventing all manner of reverse sweeps and scoop shots to exploit Lord's grounds unusual topography, long straight boundaries at Lord's and short square ones. And of course it's on a slope as well. So his ingenuity was really valuable. But of course, it's as an adventurous, clear-thinking, calm and clairvoyant captain that he's really coming to his own, devising a fearless, avant-garde and compelling strategy for one-day cricket that made England trailblazers and ultimately champions of the world for the first time, even if it was, to quote Ian Smith's memorable commentary line by the barest of margins. It was an appropriate description in a way as Morgan's innovative approach was at least partly based on the systematic application of statistics and data. And he tells us in this interview how it was done. But he starts by explaining why England is now blessed by so many exciting and aggressive young cricketers, the very reason he's decided to step down.
2: We're very, very fortunate. I think we have a, a lot of young talented white ball cricketers in our country that do unbelievably well and probably the last two or three years we've really seen guys go and travel outside of our shores uh, and you know really test themselves become key overseas players and the likes of the big bash the pakistan super league uh, the caribbean premier league they've gone away And the six months that you'd normally spend in an indoor school, say for me in Finchley, not making any mistakes, trying to groove a technique and and work on your game. Uh, Opportunities now around the world are making young cricketers better because they're making more mistakes earlier and they're able to learn a lot more about their game. And by the time they get to playing international cricket, they've played in front of big crowds. They've played every game on TV because that's the nature of T20 cricket now. And I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think it's brilliant. It wasn't around when I was coming through at Middlesex or, or for the first few years, certainly. But the opportunity to go and, and to apply your skill under pressure is, is great. And I think it's great for the game. I think it's a really good thing that there's an appetite around the world to play so much cricket.
1: So uh, do you look at players differently? Um with T20 and 50 over in mind?
2: Mm, no, I don't think so. And the, and the reason behind that, Yaz, I think since 2015 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, T20 cricket and 50 over cricket has become <laughs> slow, so aligned mm. that the type of cricket that you need to play is very, very similar. There are very few guys that 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 would play one and not the other. The, you, I think you find certainly within our group of players, we have guys who, 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 certainly across the board, there aren't a lot of changes between the teams. Um, certainly when we're at full strength, there might be one or two, but it's, you know, the, the the style of cricket now that is played around the world in order to win a world tournament is something that, that certainly, since I've started playing international cricket back in 2009, has completely changed. Certainly the fielding, the batting and the bowling Everything has just gone up a notch in such a what I think is a short period of time. Um, go back to the 2010 T20 World Cup out here in the West Indies that we won. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Uh, I, I I thought we were one of the best sides in the tournament, playing a, a brand of cricket that nobody else is playing. And I look back at it now and think, geez, cricket has changed so much so fast that in ten, in another ten years' time, I, I I'm not sure where the game is going to be
1: captaincy you know you always look incredibly composed calm you know completely relaxed despite what's going on around you have you always had that I mean I, I remember you actually I'll just tell you a quick story I remember you at 16 playing against Chesham and sort of batting scratching around for a few runs in a benefit game and then suddenly whacking a ball over the top for six and finishing the game and I just thought blimey where's that come from and you kind of had that even then you seem to have an aura of quite relaxed Sort of confidence, even though you were probably very shy. But captaincy-wise, you know, have you always had that composure? Do you think, or have you learned it?
2: I, I think I've learned it. I don't don't think it's always been there. I think I've I've had to work on certain things in big moments of the game. So when I wasn't captain, like finding that calmness and that rationale in the middle, while you, while you're trying to chase down a total. Uh, is something that yes came natural to me but if there was pressure being shifted on me as a batsman I use a mechanism where I'd always engage with the scoreboard so I would in my head I would shout out the score I would shout out what I'm on I'd shout out what I need what the run rate is at and then I'd look at the bowlers and see how many overs each bowler had left and how. so you could formulate a plan that was completely in the reality of things regardless of what is going on around you and that's something that I've continued to do over the years, um, particularly in, in big moments of a game captaining out in the field. I continuously engage with the scoreboard to stay in the reality of what's actually happening, regardless of a guy ball, a good ball or a bad ball. It doesn't make a difference if it's a big six or a small six. The impact in the game is still the same. So it's, it, it's something that I have worked on. And I think become better at just purely by doing it over and over again and making it a habit.
1: Do you ever look back at games and not re- analyse your batting, but analyse your captaincy and your sort of your general demeanour?
2: All the time, every game. Right. Uh, again, I'm always trying to learn. I'm, I'm always picking guys' brains about decisions that they would make and why they would make them and how they made them work and why they didn't work sometimes. Um, but also, the, uh, uh, myself and Nathan Lehman, our, our analysts um, have communication during a game. This came in about a year and a half ago and normally pre a year and a half ago, we would sit down and we would have meetings together. We would pick out information, the coaches that would be involved as well. We'd sort of dissect the game where we could impact the game and try and identify when the big moments would be and try and get your big players in those big moments. So that's how it would normally work. Uh, so the decisions will be left to me and Joss out on the field. When it came to reviewing what I decisions I made as a captain and why, sometimes they weren't, I suppose, it wasn't an easy review system because so many decisions are being made in the game that sometimes you might have missed something. So the reason one of the reasons we brought in this system was both to open up a line of communication with the black and white of what the numbers were and try and implement them into a game. But also when it comes to reviewing my decision, it's easier to identify why I went with it and what the situation of the game was there and then. So, yes, is the answer to your question. I always try and work on my game, Mm. both with the bat and as a captain, because certainly one of the things I felt before we brought in the system was that we, with such a group, like an unbelievable group of talented players, And we always haven't had this you know ever since i've played for england we've not had the 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 good fortune of have having an abundance of aggressive batsmen you know two all-rounders in every team that we select um normally two spinners at your disposal in the final 11. the challenge for me and 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 the coaches and and nathan then is is getting them in the right situation of the game so it goes a little bit against the grain of what naturally you would feel as a captain sometimes. So say I was captaining New yorks We played tomorrow against the West Indies and you took five for five for ten, man of the match, brilliant. And then two days later we play against Australia. And I know that you don't match up well against Australia, even though you've taken five for ten. So as a captain, I don't bowl you or potentially don't even pick you in the fixture. That's you to for me, that's utilizing the information better than we normally would, as opposed to saying yours is in great rhythm great form he'll adapt and you'll get better where in actual fact all of the information is suggesting suggesting the otherwise and i think you know 10 years ago you would have played and whatever yeah, and
1: i'm probably not done very well i mean it's interesting but i actually introduced nathan to billy bean the famous character from moneyball uh recently on a zoom call like this and uh, billy bean said because of his work in baseball and i don't know if you've you probably read Moneyball haven't you seen the film but um, he reckons that in the future in sport more and more maths graduates like Nathan are going to be more influential than traditional coaches.
2: I agree with that to a certain extent because in, in, in cricket and in, in any sport all of the information is out there anybody can yeah. access it how you implement it is the most important thing there are 10 IPL franchises now, all worth a billion dollars, all have the same information, trying to plan out a 10-year plan, all with, all with the same aspirations. So no matter the squad each team comes with, I think the most effective and most successful will be the side who, who manages the transferring of information and tactics and articulating that to the players and, and making it work. So I agree with the use of the information is critical but I think your, you know, your most successful teams Mumbai, Chennai, Calcutta. So Stephen Fleming, Mahela Jayawardene, and yeah. Brendan McCullum yeah. then yeah. then become the guys who implement the plan. And if they can't implement it, it's, it's it's pointless. It's like any plan; it it might as well be, you know, nothing just what words and numbers on a paper.
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Who,
1: who is your, would you say, your biggest influence as captain? Who has been your biggest influence on your captaincy?
2: Well, I'd say it's Andrew Strauss. When I first started at Middlesex, he was in and around the England setup, Um, So he would come back and play. And he, he wasn't captain at that stage, but even getting the exposure watching how an international cricketer prepares talks articulates trains and ultimately leads around the group that he's 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 just a was it was a great sort of visual for me and certainly then playing under him over the years he um, there were there's certainly a lot of lessons that i've learned and implemented in my own captaincy that i watched him just nail over the years. Uh, everybody who plays under him talks about how he how he used to communicate to players, how on point he always was. When I, I became captain, I asked him, you know, what was the reason behind it? Do you think there, there must have been some sort of method? As an interesting answer, and answered like it's something that I use in in, a, in applying sort of my principles as as a captain. And it was just he listens. You know, a lot of captains and a lot of leaders come in and blurt out what they want and and how they want it and when they want it but choosing the time to deliver that message is more important than the message because if people aren't listening it's 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 pointless so every time you're around a, a bigger group or you know a couple of guys in a corner just lend your ear mm. you don't have to speak just just listen take in the mood take in what's happening mm. so i thought that was unbelievable advice very simple but on point
1: i uh... I heard him do a talk once about leadership, actually, and he t- he used the phrase leadership from behind, which does not quite the same as what you're saying, but sort of coaxing people and, as you say, sort of almost letting them make the decisions, kind of steering them in a direction, but then allowing them to actually make the decisions.
2: I'd agree with that. I, I, the best way I've heard leadership be described, everybody uses the bus, um, metaphor of it. people, you need to get bums on seats, everybody going in the right direction and whatever. The leader drives the bus. The best one I've heard is actually the leader is 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 the conductor. The Leader goes around, sees everybody, takes their ticket, checks in, make sure they're going in the right direction, make sure they're in the right seat, and goes up and down the bus consistently and have a little bit of a chat with everybody, even the driver. And so I, I quite like that.
1: Conductor it shows it's how been, long it yeah. is since you've been on a bus. You never see a bloody conductor, and I've won for ten years. Anyway, how do you keep your batting game going when you play relatively little cricket? What's your practice yeah,
2: philosophy? that's that's a good good question. I've I've stumbled across it to be honest, and I had to go back to 2015 during our summer where I took a break for five weeks in the middle of the summer. I just I, it had been quite a, a strenuous winter where I, I hadn't stopped playing for seven months and just i I got sick of the side of of playing cricket and i went away took a break didn't hit any balls um practiced for about three days before a one-day series that we played against australia and i came and got runs and from that moment i've developed a, a level of trust within my game that that i don't lose it by taking time away and i actually come back with a fresh perspective focusing on the the simple things as opposed to playing a lot and then doing things for for the sake of it. So I stumbled across the method a bit, but it's continued to work for me.
1: I remember when you played a a white ball game in about 2015 or something like that, and you got a pair at Merchant Tailors, you then threw your white pads away (laughs) and hardly played a white ball, a red ball game since then. Have you played, have you still got any whites?
2: No, I don't think I do. I think I've, I've, I'm getting to an age and a time in my life where I'm allergic to to, to whites, Standing out there so. for four hours, <laughs> possibly two days as well.
1: Yeah. Do you want to coach man or manage, or do you when you finished, or do you would you like to do something prefer to do something outside the game?
2: Uh, I'd like to do both. I've been doing stuff outside of the game now for a few years, which is great. But I also like being engaged in in what's happening on the, on the ground. The way I see it at the moment is I, I haven't seen a role within the game that I'm desperate to to go for or to do. But I think the game is changing so quickly that there will be different and various jobs that, that come up that I, I could potentially like. But certainly around managing, mentoring and, and coaching is, is something that I, I'd like to do.
1: Where can England's white ball team improve? Are there some new bowlers? You haven't got Archer or Plunkett now. You know, is that the area that you're kind of almost looking for someone to come through? And if so, who might that be?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good question. Um, having gone through a full review of the World Cup, uh, the direction so going into the World Cup, two areas of improvement that we were striving for was was our, our power play bowling and our death bowling. Um, our batting had been in pretty good form going into the tournament. And if you look back at every game that we played, bar the last, we were on point. Uh, and for the six months leading in to the tournament, there was a we were a little bit of victims of our own success. We, we didn't play in many tight games where our bowlers had been under pressure. We, we we bowled people out for low scores and we chased them down quite convincingly. So again, it's an area of improvement that we're, we're trying to get better at. But if you look at the injuries that we, we had pre-World Cup and then the injuries during the World Cup, Um, upon reflection we have to be incredibly proud of where we got to i mean going into the last four overs of a semi-final when the opposition need 58 and they only have one player that could win the game for them and he went out and did it it's 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 pretty unique stuff so i would say death bowling is probably the biggest area for improvement the thing the thing people need to understand it's it's not it's not just a case of somebody being a good death bowler i think batters have advanced their game at a quicker rate than bowlers have. If you go back five or six years, you could name a handful of people that would be brilliant death bowlers around the world. Whereas now you would probably say one, which is Jasprit Boomer. He's he's incredible. He's he's consistent. Trent Bolt, maybe? He's okay. 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 He doesn't have as much deception as as Boomer and as much consistency as Boomer. But you could say Mitchell Stark. Who went to the World Cup and didn't have a great time, when like yeah. guy bowlers, like big name bowlers, are still getting hit.
1: So there's a challenge for the world's bowlers to come up with some new ways of silencing these thunderbats, as my old coach Jack Robertson used to call them. It won't be easy, of course, with so many restrictions on what bowlers are allowed to do, especially in one day cricket. Anyway, hope you found those insights into Owen Morgan's leadership methods intriguing. He certainly had a transformative effect on English cricket and even the world game. Those harassed and stressed bowlers will particularly miss his unflappable demeanour and his wise counsel. The times he strolled calmly over to them when they were under the pump and just encouraged them to take a moment and be clear in what they were trying to achieve. Everyone will miss his reassuring presence, his clear thinking and his phenomenal ball striking ability. Having said that, He is still intending to lead London's Spirit in the 100 competition beginning in August, so we all look forward to that and hope his body stands up to it. He has been an ingenious and triumphant asset to English sport, and we should all join in thanking him for that. And no doubt he'll re-emerge in another influential role in due course. The world's his oyster, really. His career is proof that many of your dreams are attainable if you truly put your mind to it.
0: Podcast Network.